The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Westway. My name is Nathaniel Johnson. My wife and I and a couple of our children serve on the praise teams here at Westway. Uh, Today's scripture is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through through Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to Westway. If we haven't met, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. And I would encourage you to um, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17 uh, through 20 is what we're going to be spending um, a lot of our time in um, this morning. Here's, um, here's what is going on in these chapters. Um, the world is saved as the consequences of sin meet the judgment of God. That's what we're reading about in these chapters. Um, I've had a few people ask why, like, why are we going through this book in the way that we are? It's not typical for us um, to spend time each week kind of summarizing multiple chapters at one time. Um, feels a little like Cliff's Notes. Um, if, you're, um, if you're my age, you remember these little yellow books called Cliff's Notes. And when you went to high school literature class, you didn't have to actually read what you were supposed to read. You just went out and bought the Cliff Notes um, version. But the reason we're kind of spending this time summarizing um, what's going on here is there is so much taking place in this text. Um, my hope and my prayer for you is that throughout the last, um, throughout the last six weeks, Um, you've been reading. My hope and my prayer for you is that each week you've not only been reading the specific text that we're going to talk about the following Sunday, but that you've been spending time throughout the entire book. And my hope and my prayer for you is in that you're beginning to see how, you're beginning to see what John is doing. You're beginning to see the way that, um, that Jesus through John is describing the end of all things. And part of the reason, too, we're, we're doing this little summary is I, I warned you about this at the beginning of the series. I said there are going to be some things that you wish I would talk about. And there are some things that you wish I wouldn't talk about. Because we can't, again, we can't cover every single thing. I also hope that as you've been going through and reading through um, this book, that your appetite has been whetted for more. Um, I'm a little, honestly, I'm a little sad because next week is our last, um, last two chapters in this book. And I, would, I just want to start back over in Revelation chapter one and just talk about more of the things that we did not have, um, did not take the time really to spend um, talking about this morning. So I want to remind you of a few things as we enter into the the last four chapters before the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. Number one, apocalypse is a type of Jewish literature filled with symbolic visions that reveal a heavenly perspective in light of its final outcome. So it's filled with symbolic visions. One of the things that's come up so many times over the past couple weeks in our small groups is, um, is we, just, we don't have a literary category for this in our day and age. We don't have a genre for this in our day and age. When we hear the word apocalypse, most of us think about zombies, 
Like that's just where our brain goes. But that's not what John is talking about here. John is talking about revealing and he's using all of these symbols to reveal reality to people that are reading it. And a lot of those symbols are coming from the Old Testament. So if, if you're reading through the book of Revelation and you're unsure, you, you see all of these beasts and all of these dragons and all of these things, um, if, you're, if, if this is your first time here, um, we don't think there's an actual dragon, okay? It's a symbol. It represents something else. And we see that throughout. And if you're unsure of what these symbols represent, it would be really good for you to go back and read some books from the Old Testament. Book of Daniel would be a good one to read. The book of Ezekiel would be a good one to read. And what you'll find is as you're entering into those particular books, you're gonna see a lot of similarities because John is using that language. If you have the YouVersion app, which we um, encourage you um, to, to use, we have an event set up in there for Westway Christian Church. Um, you can follow all of the texts that we're gonna talk about on there. Um, so some, sometimes these symbols are explained. Sometimes John... Um, kind of does us a favor and he explains the symbols that he's using in the text. A couple of examples of that are from the first chapter when he talked about lampstands and stars. He said that the, the church, they're the churches and the angels of the churches. So the lampstand uh, or the stars, excuse me, I'm getting these confused. Let's push pause for a second. Breathe. Okay, I know what I'm doing now. All right, the lampstands represent the churches and the stars represent um, the leaders over those churches. So sometimes the symbols are explained to us and other times the symbols aren't explained, which means we have to do work, which is why we go back and we read the rest of the Bible. The churches to whom this was written were facing catastrophic persecution and intense pressure to worship the Babylon of their day. We know that Babylon, we call that Rome. We cannot relate, regardless of what your political persuasion is in 21st century America. We cannot relate to what the church in the first century was dealing with. There's no, just like there's not a category for apocalyptic literature for us, we don't have a category for the persecution that they were facing. And they faced temptation to join in that worship. It was such a struggle for them to not join into that worship because they not only had the entire government coming against them, demanding their worship, but they had all of the citizens their friends and their neighbors and their co-workers all demanding that they worship Rome. We don't understand this kind of pressure and the option for them to quit, to give up and to give in was always in front of them. They constantly faced this challenge. And John is writing them this letter because he's calling them to patiently hopeful endurance in the midst of their realities. He's calling them the patiently hopeful endurance. He's saying Christ is coming back. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the deeper you get into the letter, what we find is he's actually already won. Which begs the question, well, if Jesus has won, why am I enduring these hardships? Like what's going on here? Help, help me understand. And I think we can identify with that tension a little bit, right? 
We have situations and circumstances and hardships and realities in our own lives. And yet we read the Bible and the Bible tells us that Jesus has already won. We, we just sang songs praising God about that. So why the hardship? Why the reality? And what Jesus is telling them over and over and over again is that the consequences of their sin and the judgment of God are going to collide and God wins. They'll be victorious by the blood of the lamb. If you've been reading this text slowly, which I cannot recommend that you do enough. If you've been reading this text slowly, you'll see so many times where that phrase, the blood of the lamb and the witness of their testimony comes up. That is how they are victorious. And we've seen this victory now through three different lenses, right? Through three different windows. We've seen the seals. We've seen the trumpets. We've seen the bowls. And we get to the end of last week and we're still kind of wondering, okay, but what, like what happens to the dragon and the beast? Like, where do they go? We see all of this judgment and consequence of sin poured out on the earth. And chapter 16 kind of ends with like the people cursing God. And we have this question where, so what happened? What, what does, what does it is finished mean in our own lives? What happened to evil? Well, remember this letter is to them. It's to them. And we talk about this all the time. It's to them, but it's for us to provide hope and courage and strength and wisdom. So the answer to the question, what happened, is comes in the form of an object lesson. And I don't know about you, but I like to begin all of my object lessons with prostitutes. No? Well, that's what John does at the beginning of chapter 17. He reintroduces a character to us. He's in the wilderness, and an angel invites John to join him So he can reintroduce John to this character called the great prostitute. And again, this is not a new character. We've we've heard of her before. Actually, in chapter 14, verse 6, we're introduced to this character called Babylon. We hear, John hears Babylon. Now he sees who she is. And if you've been reading through the text with us for the last six weeks, you're going to see that pattern on repeat He sees or hears something and then sees something else. He hears 144,000 people, but he sees a great multitude. The beast that came up out of the earth, this is one of those things we didn't talk about. He sees, this is a flip of the hear-see pattern. He sees a beast that has nubs like a lamb coming out of it, but it has the voice of a dragon. So this, this pattern of see, hear, hear, see is on full display. And, and here's what we see. Here's what John sees. He sees this beautiful woman. Here's Babylon, the beautiful woman, and she's sitting on a beast. This is not a new beast. This is the same beast that came up out of the sea from Revelation 13, 16. And she's dressed well. She's dressed in purple and scarlet clothing, wearing jewelry made of gold and precious stones. She holds a beautiful golden cup, but on the inside is disgusting. And what the text tells us is she's drunk. She's flat out drunk. And here's what she's drunk on. 
She's drunk on the blood of the saints that she had killed. She is drunk with power. She is drunk with her position. She's drunk. She's taken full advantage of her role as Babylon and has left thousands of millions by this, by our day and age, if not billions of Christians in her wake. She is worshiped and she is seemingly unstoppable. And John sees this woman. John sees this prostitute on the beast. And here's what he says. She's hot. Like that's the Mulholland paraphrase. What it says in the text is this. I marveled at her. I stared at her in complete amazement. The prostitute, she's hot. She is good looking. She is attractive. And here's what the recipients of their day needed to hear. Babylon is alluring. Babylon is alluring. And you are going to be tempted to be amazed by her. You are going to see what she is doing. And you are going to be tempted to marvel at who she is. You are going to think that she is so incredibly wonderful. You're going to be amazed by Babylon, the militaristic, nationalistic, political power. You're going to think that the, the, the solver of all of the world's problems will come through politics. You are going to be so allured by her. You're going to be so captivated by her. And as we talked over the last couple weeks, we talked about the sign, the mark of the beast. Remember, it's not a UPC code. No one's coming to implant a chip into your hand. The mark of the beast is the way that we think and the way that we act. And when we give nationalistic, militaristic, political power what it wants, we're wearing the mark of the beast. Don't we see this today? The allure of political powers. Polit politicians always tell you what you want to hear. Have you ever noticed that? They tell you what you want to hear. Sin is alluring and it looks good and it's attractive and it's captivating and it reveals a mark. And the angel literally says, this is the next verse. Are you so amazed? Why are you captivated by that? Why are you marveling at her? Let me tell you what's really going on here, angel. The beast that she is on used to be alive, is now dead, and will be alive again. Pause. Was alive, used to be alive, and will be alive again. Last week, we talked about copycat kingdom. Do you remember that? That sounds sort of like God, but God always was, always is, and always is to come. That's not this beast. The beast does not have the power to be fully God. Neither does Babylon. 
And what this angel continues to talk about is the only people who marvel at her, the only ones who think Babylon is hot, who think she's attractive, who are captivated by her, the only ones who fall for that are the ones that have the mark of the beast, the ones who fully give in to her power. The seven heads on the beast, they represent the seven hills. See, this is where we need to understand some context. Rome was built amidst seven hills. This is one of those times where John is calling out Rome for who she is. And if you're paying attention, if you know, because you live in this time, this makes perfect sense for you. He's calling out Rome for who she is. And then he says something strange, the angel. They're going to gather all of the armies together. You remember we talked about that last week? They're going to gather all of the armies together, but they're going to lose. Well, what about the woman? What happens to her? The text tells us that she's going to be eaten alive by the beast. She's a prostitute. She's simply, like if we look back at history, isn't it just one nation state after another that rises to power and then falls and rises to power and then falls and rises to power and falls. See, what the beast is doing is the beast is just using political powers to get its way. And here's its way, your destruction. That's what the beast wants. The enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy we read about the dragon earlier in the book. It tells us that its weapons are deceit. See, we see these nation states rising and falling throughout history. She just gets used up. Like when the Soviet Union no longer was accomplishing its goal of killing and stealing, destroying, did you notice it fell? Who's next? Who's next in line? Who's the next great nation state? See, these are the questions that this text is forcing us to ask. And if you're, like, I'm, I really want to be careful in the way that I talk about this. So when I say you, like, don't take that so accusatory. If you think that the woman was Hillary Clinton, okay, like, this is just where you're wrong. She's a symbol. The woman is a symbol. And some of you are asking, well, I don't know, John, how do you know that? Well, the Bible actually tells us. This is chapter 17, verse 18. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. It's not Hillary Clinton. It can't be. It's a symbol. She is a symbol of something else. So I want to encourage you, non-accusatory, to stop reading the news like it's explaining all of this. Right? It's a symbol. So where's Amanda Wilson? Okay, Amanda Wilson. What's my word, Amanda? What word am I going to talk about right now? Recapitulation. Recapitulation. Right. Recapitulation. 
right? Recapitulation, we've talked about that throughout the series. Like we see all of these things that are happening. Something happens and then it just goes right back to the beginning from a different perspective, right? If you've been following along in the text, I promise you that's something that you're going to see. Chapter 18, interestingly enough, begins with the exact same warnings from chapter 14. Not word for word, but fuller. And that's one of the things that you'll see when you're reading through the book of Revelation. Like, kind of round one, you see version one, a really scaled down uh, version of what's taking place. Version two, a little bit more fuller with more explanation. Version three, more explanation yet again. And chapter 18 begins with the same warnings from chapter 14. Babylon is fallen. Don't participate. She's taking everyone down with her. And what's interesting is God's holy and just wrath comes upon the earth. And you can read through this in chapter 18, all of the kings and all of the wealthy people and all of the merchants gather together and they see the smoke rising from the city. And the text tells us that they weep and they mourn and they're filled with grief. Why? Because Babylon made them rich. It's so fascinating The thing that they are weeping and mourning over is the reality that their wealth is gone. All of the things that they place their hope in, all of the things that they place their trust in, it's gone. The wealthy and the rich or the rich and the influencers, like they don't care about, they don't care about the people that Babylon took down with her. They don't care about God's judgment on the cities. Like, they're just going to be broke now. That's what they're upset about. The text actually says, she was so beautiful. She wore the finest clothing and jewelry. She was judged by God as though they had nothing to do with it. Do you see what's happening in this text? This is not repentance. Sometimes we think, we, that's, that's not the royal we, that's not the you we, that's the, that's the actual we we. Sometimes we think that all repentance is, is if I just cry, if I'm just sad, if I'm just sorry for what's happening, like that's repentance. But for so many of us, we're just sorry we got caught. We're sorry for the consequences of the sin that we have to face. And we are these people. We're pointing at Babylon. We're talking about, oh, oh, how horrible it is that she's gone. But this is on us. And here's the second thing that the church in this time in the first century needed to hear. Remember, they needed to hear that Babylon was alluring. They needed to hear that Babylon was self-centered. And if all you can think about, and and this is going to play out over the next two chapters, if all the wealthy, the kings, and the merchants can think about is that their lifestyle is going to be affected when Babylon goes down, that's the mark of the beast. 
And if all we can think about is what's in it for us, as we, as we evaluate what's happening in the world, if all we can think about when we enter into a relationship with someone else is how is this going to be good for me? If all we can think about when we enter into a relationship with Christ is how is this going to be good for me? If all we can think about is when we enter into a relationship with the church is what am I going to get out of it? Do you see how self-centered that is? That is the mark. An angel appears and throws a boulder into the sea and she shouts, Babylon is destroyed. The copycat kingdom of self-satisfaction is gone. The blood of the prophets flowed through your streets. And now it's time for God's wrath to meet the consequences of your sin. And like we've seen so many times over the past six weeks, chapter 19 begins with praise. Well, why? Like, doesn't it seem kind of weird to you that, that people would praise over the fact that the entire earth is destroyed? Like, why would, God, why would there be praise in heaven? Well, when we read the praise, we see that God is just and God is true and God is faithful and God is avenging his servants. Don't miss the two responses to the destruction of earth, to the consequence of sin. On earth, everyone's sad because they're gonna miss out. In heaven, it's rejoicing over God's justice and his love and his mercy. And then there's this meal that gets prepared, the wedding feast of the lamb. I'm gonna read Revelation 19, verse 19. Oh, excuse me, verse nine. An angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that came from God. Interestingly, what does John do? Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Here's, here's something I don't want you to miss. We are so tempted to worship things that are not God. What was his response to the prostitute? Marvel, praise. He's captivated by her. What's John's response to the angel? Worship. And the angel is like, how many times do I have to tell you? Don't worship, don't worship the prostitute. Don't worship me. Worship God. And I think there's a lesson in here from this text for us. 
we got to ask ourselves, what are we worshiping? Are we worshiping things of God? Or are we worshiping God himself? <clears throat> In an epic recapitulation of chapter 16, verse 19, 19, says this, then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Do you remember that from last week? Remember the, the, the angel poured out its bowl, the Euphrates dried up so all the armies could march west to gather together to fight off God. And then the craziest anticlimactic battle in history takes place. Verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. It's over. It's done. Again, Jesus just shows up. Bobby Crisp used the word the other night in a small group. He said, this isn't a pitched battle. Right, We talked about that last week. This isn't Lord of the Rings, where one side's victorious and then the other side seems to be like they're victorious and we're all biting our nails wondering who's going to win watching this from the sidelines. No. The armies gather, Jesus shows up, and the next thing you know, the dragon and the beast are, the beasts, excuse me, are carted off. And here's chapter 20. The long-awaited reckoning begins. And maybe your Bible has the word millennium in it. And what I want to tell you is lovingly, if your question is, when is the millennium? That's the wrong question to ask. Because that's not what the people of this day were concerned about. It's not what John is concerned about. Revelation is a book of who and why. It's not a book of how and when. And as you read through chapter 20, what you're going to see is the final judgment is just that. It's final. It's done. There are no more second chances because there are no more choices to be made. See, one of the things that we've been talking about throughout this entire book together is we make we make the decision, we make the choice of who we're going to follow every single day of our lives. Every single day. Every decision, every choice I'm making reveals, am I riding with the beast or am I riding with Christ? Every single choice that we make reveals that. And when, when this happens, see your choice is made. Your ability to decide on this day is gone. This is something we talked quite a bit about last week in our staff meeting. Like one of my favorite phrases is you can't outsin God's grace, which is absolute 100% truth. It doesn't matter today. It doesn't matter what you've done. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, John, well, you don't know what I've done. 
Well, I don't have to because I know what I've done and I've done some pretty crappy things. And I did not out God's grace. God looks at me and he sees who I am. He knows who Christ is and he makes me new and I, don't, I cannot out God's grace. And neither can you. There's nothing you can do. I mean, scripture tells us who can separate us from the love of Christ. No one, nothing, nothing can. Until this day. Until Jesus shows up, robe dipped in blood, that's his blood, by the way. Sword coming out of his mouth. Awesome tattoo that says word of God on his leg. See, when Jesus shows up on this day, any choice that we might make is gone. And the reality of those seven churches, see, this is what the seven churches needed to hear. And that's why we, that's why we talk about this. This is to them, it's not to us. The reality for each one of the people in those seven churches was they could die at any moment. At any moment, Rome could come in and murder every single one of them. And what John is trying to do here is to call them to wake up to reality. You have a choice. See, that's why he says in the seven letters, you're doing all of these things and some of them I really like and some of them I don't really like. And what you ought to do is overcome. And if you overcome... You're going to eat of the fruit. You're going to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to be in all of those things that John wrote to those churches. Because there's a day coming where Christ is coming back and each one of our choices are gone. Revelation tells us lots of things. It's meant to provide hope and encouragement and challenge to a church that needs to hear it. And while we're not facing this level of persecution, we need hope. We need encouragement. And of those three things, I think we need challenge. I think we need to recognize, we need to hear. And again, that's not the royal we, that's not the you we, that's the we we. Sorry, that sounds weird. I need to remember that my choices align me with a kingdom. They align me with a kingdom. They align me with a reality. So what's that reality? I have a few verses I'm just going to read. And again, this is in the YouVersion app. Um, first is Romans 6.23. Nat uh, shared it earlier. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And if you, if I just completely spend my entire life living in opposition and rebellion against God, the wages of sin are death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is Galatians 5, 16 to 26, because now maybe we ask a question like, well, how can I know? Like, John, when you say, I have decisions to make every single day, like, what does that really mean? Galatians 5, 16 to 26. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Okay, if you've ever wondered why sin is so hard to overcome, this is it. This is the answer. This is what we talk about all the time. Hey, you should read your Bible. You'll learn something. Like, why is it so hard? I thought I became a Christian. Why am I still dealing with all of this temptation? I thought this was just magically going to disappear. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. You need to know that this is the fruit of your sin. Sometimes what we do is we look at these things, right? And we're like, um, like, that's how I know I'm a sinner. No, this just reveals the sin within you. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So which list more accurately reflects your life? See, when we read the Bible, these are the questions we ought to be asking. When we read the Bible, it's not so we can check a box. Here's Ephesians 5, 1 to 9. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma. This next list is gonna sound very familiar. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. 
So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what's good and right and true. How are the decisions in your day? Are they good and right and true? And are they producing those things? And if they are not, we must wrestle with the question, which kingdom do I serve? Here's Colossians 3, 5 to 17. It's almost as if Paul's taking this really seriously, right? So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Same list. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time. Perfect. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are all called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. With the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, we have been given so many opportunities in our lives to demonstrate which kingdom we are a part of. And we can know we can know with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the robe dipped in blood. We can know which kingdom we're a part of. And we can go out and we can witness that kingdom. We can show love and grace and kindness and mercy and peace to other people. And we can invite them in to that kingdom. Because isn't that the kingdom that we ultimately want to live in? When you evaluate all the things that are happening in the world, don't you just want peace? Don't you just want someone to be kind? Don't you just want justice? 
This is the thing that God offers us. And revelation is confronting the realities of our sin. It's revealing to us that there is going to come a day where Jesus is going to show up and there's no more second chances. And that's not because God is wicked and malevolent. It's because God has given each and every one of us the choice every single day of our lives to choose his kingdom. And when he shows up, we've already made our choice. I'm so thankful that after this week, we get to leave all the chaos, death, and destruction behind. Because this chapter tells us what happens, right? To those who have chosen the beast, they're cast out. They're judged. They're gonna, every one of us is going to stand before God. And whomever is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life is being cast out. I'm not happy about that. I'm not excited about that. I think it's terrible. And we have the choice. We have the opportunity today to make that choice. I was flipping through TV last night and there was this old Charles Stanley sermon on TV. And what he said was so perfect. We have to deal with sin in some fashion. We can ignore it and pay the price or we can be forgiven. And that forgiveness only comes through Christ. And my question for you is, have you made that decision? Have you made that choice? Have you decided which kingdom you want to be a part of? And what we do here at Westway Christian Church is exactly what you saw earlier today. When someone makes that decision, they are baptized. Baptized into Christ. The Beth death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what we saw. And you can have that today. You don't have to wait until Jesus returns for your reckoning. You can have it now. And I want to encourage you and urge you to do that. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that it's consistent. I'm thankful that it paints a picture of a just loving, merciful, patient God who is calling us to you out of love. God, help us to understand that our choices have consequences. Our decisions matter. And what you want more than anything is for us to be with you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.